kill the bride! Welcome to Radical Listening, a Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their current projects. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtznagel. Yeah, and today we have an awesome episode. We interview the producing artistic director of Coho Productions and our partner in crime, Philip Cuomo. What do you think about today's episode? Oh, it was, uh, it was really interesting. I'm really excited we got him on the podcast. Uh, we'd been wanting to for a while, and um, it was great to hear his takes um, on everything, theater and otherwise. He was a teacher of mine at the Institute for Contemporary Performance, so I've heard him talk a lot before, but I learned so much new in this podcast. Uh, it was very interesting. He's got a lot of stories. Some of them I had heard before, but most I actually hadn't, so that was a really, really cool thing to see. Yeah, I felt like it was a fairly candid conversation. Honestly, we, we get into all, we cover a lot of topics, but one thing that I found very interesting was this connection that he draws between uh, spirituality and theater. Um, yeah, and that that's you know towards the end of the podcast, but stick around for that. Um, other things we talk about are um, tiny houses. Tiny um, houses. We talk about clown versus buffoonery and trolling. Um, we talk about his experience in the theater industry and. Um, and then we talk about what Radical Listening is all about. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, this is our interview with Philip Cuomo. Hey, we're here with Philip Cuomo um, <laughs> at Coho Theater. And I think this is a great opportunity. We've been talking about music and uh, to, to talk about the show that we saw this past week. Um, I, I don't have, well, how do you, what's the title of it? It's a very long the title. title the full title is. Uh, um, Beethoven and Chopin, Monster Hunters, Meet the Bride of Frankenstein, a Romance. It Great. was right on the tip of my tongue. It's, <laughs> it's meant to be spoken. Okay, I was going to say, is that all summed up on one you know, pamphlet or card that you can hand out to people? Or <laughs> Well, that's the title. Yeah. It's working. It'll probably it working. degrade down to Beethoven and Chopin, Meet the Bride of Frankenstein, which gets the point. Yeah, and a little right. bit more succinctly. Yeah. It's a working title because we're we're trying to devise the piece, and so I want to suggest to the company of performers the main action, which is monster hunting, and the tone, which is romantic mm-hmm. and sort of the tra- classical romanticism. Oh yeah. Okay. We're riffing on Mary Shelley's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Sure. which is British Romanticism literature, and Beethoven's music, which is classical Romanticism. So what came first? Did the music come first, or did the, the Frankenstein come first? It's a, it's, I wish it was as thoughtful as that. It, it's, it's much more stupid okay. um, <laughs> in a really good way. Like, like we use in the clown cohort, we use the word stupid mm. as a compliment. Mm. Um, uh, idiot savant is what I've been called in the press before. We they can't tell <laughs> if I'm just so yeah. dumb or if I'm so smart that I can do dumb. Mm. And it's really silly that I'm after, and it's really a sillier reason than than the intellectual okay. marrying of the British Romanticism. Uh, Isaac Lamb has participated in the clown cohort before. He actually played Amanda Wingfield in. The Phillips Glass Menagerie, and he worked really well with Emily uh, Newton, who is one of the mainstays in the cohort. They worked together first in holiday shorts, and then they they were beautiful and mm-hmm. carried stuff for me. And Isaac last winter was playing over at PCS. He was in their Christmas show, and he was one of the sketches was um, uh, Scrooge. And he played Scrooge in his costume, he said, and he took a photo. Isaac loves to to social media it. He's a Facebook guy. Okay. <laughs> and um, he took a photo of himself in his Scrooge costume. He says, I don't know if I'm Scrooge or Beethoven um, in this <laughs> costume. And I was like, Beethoven, I've got an idea. And it came to me when I saw the photo okay. of him and Emily playing Beethoven in Chopin as monster hunters, mm-hmm. um, I was looking for some sort of gothic horror thing that was suggested by one of the members in the cohort that maybe next project would be a horror. Mm-hmm. When I saw Beethoven, I was like, great. And then I looked at 
some gothic horror classic movies from the 30s and 40s. And of course, I stumbled on Abbott and Costello, Meet the <laughs> Meet Frankenstein, and I'm like, perfect. Yeah, right. Beethoven and and Chopin, and Chopin is just a funny word. Yeah, you know, it sounds good together. Beethoven and Mozart doesn't. Well, though that has a nice little ring to it too, doesn't it? It's a little more lyrical. Yeah. It's true. But Chopin's a little more, a little more deep cut. It's not really, but like a little less popular than Mozart. You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Pinky's out. <laughs> <laughs> it's some. It's funny that you take something as highbrow as something like Beethoven. And and say, oh no, that's silly. Yes, you know, like that's. This but is, that's the whole. That's yeah. the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. the more serious we take ourselves, the more ridiculous we are. Yeah, that's the whole guiding <laughs> principle of clown. I mean, if somebody says they're not a clown, they're lying to you. Hmm. If if they have never felt the humility of making a mistake over and over again, they're lying. Hmm. And that's essentially clown. You make a mistake over and over again, and you don't really learn from it. You just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's fucking life. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, everybody <laughs> ha- everybody displays clown behavior, and the, the more they try not to, the more they do. It. Oh well, that's very evident in yeah. our world today, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Buffoonery. Yeah, yeah. Which is a little different than clown. The buffoon is grotesque. And in the clown world, the buffoon knows their grotesque mm. and it, it relishes their grotesqueness and points to us and say, you think I'm grotesque? You're the grotesque one. Um, and, and the clown is a little bit more innocent. Yeah, the clown is innocent, doesn't know better. Yeah. It doesn't learn from the mistakes. So there's a, a distinction, and that's the distinction I've made in my um theories or pedagogy when I teach uh, um, to separate the two. I had a student years ago who was so angry about doing the clowning. And um, I realized eventually that his, that what was coming out of him in the clowning work that we were doing was buffoon. And he hadn't been, I model clown in class, but I don't model buffoonery. Um, I'm just not a buffoon, yeah. and um, in the in this traditional grotesque <laughs> right. sense. Um, and finally, I was like, it it hit me. He had to. Everybody had to tell a joke in gibberish, and his joke was, "What do you do with a cl- when when you find a clown on a swing? You take an axe to him." <laughs> right. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of grotesque. Yeah, it's yeah. just like. It's so angry, yeah. right? And in clown class, in clown <laughs> class, in gibberish. Oh, so he, yeah, and then so you t- he takes that joke and then does it in, in gibberish, gibberish to get the idea across, to get the intention across. Right. right? You can't do a lot of physical stuff. So then nobody could guess. Nobody had any idea what his joke was, and he had to <laughs> tell it. And and it was like, whoa! I I gotta, I gotta look at that. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, <laughs> That's really interesting because that's the type of humor that I see in kind of the darker spaces of the internet, mm-hmm. you know, like the Reddit, some Reddit yeah. forums and like, you know, that 4chan kind of humor uh-huh. where it's just really dark. Dark. And, and mean. Mean. Yeah. Mean. And the buffoon really is mean. Yeah. Because he's pointing out our hypocrisy or mm-hmm. she, they. Maybe the buffoon should be they. Sure. Take a lesson from Jamie. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would say it, yeah. buffoon could be anything. Could be anything. Clown could be too. Now, here's a question. Are you familiar with uh, what we call online trolling? Well, I have a little idea. Because I wonder, is trolling buffoonery? Is that what that is? Is that the that Well, idea? You'd, you'd have to define trolling for me. Well, to me, it seems like trolls kind of create chaos for fun they kind of bait people yeah, yeah. they kind of yeah will say something really awful just to get the reaction it's like they're creating humor for themselves but Except not for the problem the is but sometimes they an, think they, they're really smart about it they're really they're they're, they're anonymous yes then usually then no but what then if they would not be uh buffoon what about them uh, would you think their their internet persona might be a mask well, even could, if it is a mask, that? yeah, you could uh, right. The, the, if they have a clear, defined 
um, internet persona, let well, let's call it a mask, and they relish in it, then yeah, I guess it is buffoon. Ooh, we're into sticky yeah, territory. Well, that's, <laughs> it gets sticky quick. I, or or is trolling is its own thing, you know, or is it its own element? I mean, yeah, well, y- that would be the safe answer, Phil. Yeah. Um, that would be the thing I would want to be able to say right now is like, of course, trolling is different. Um, but I'm not sure it really truly is. Yeah. Even even in the clowning, which is, you know, um, an innocence to display some sort of social awareness to what what's going on, right? That's how I use it, mm-hmm. um, at least. Um, that awareness of what's ha- of what's going on and being active in the face of it, I think, is an extremely important component to living in a society. Mm. So that we're not doing these. We're not doing these silly clown shows just for the sake of having silly fun. Mm-hmm. There is a point to them, as there is in all theater, right? That that and and all art um, presents a um, truthful moment of the world that we take, we respond to, in an empathetic way in an emotional, empathetic way that then we then carry out with us to the world. And in the theater, that practice is driven by this concept of listening. Okay. And today in society, we're not listening to each other. We have an idea and it's right and I don't care what the other side says. Mm-hmm. We've drawn lines. So what we've done is we've created barriers between us and what we need to do is diminish those barriers. And the only way to do that is listening. And at the theater, the theater is a place to come and practice listening. You come into a darkened room. You share an imagined experience with the community around you. Your heart rates actually sync up. And it's um, been documented medically that when you, when you are in a community and your heart, heart rates sync up, everybody's a little healthier as a result of it. That's a, just a trippy thought, yeah. actually. But um, I try to focus on, and we at COHO try to focus on this idea of coming, bringing your intelligence, your energy to um, respond to the play. But in order to do that, you have to be listening both with your ears and your entire body. That's what makes theater so cool. It's, it's visceral. Yeah. And so you listen viscerally, and you eventually create an empathetic connection to what's happening on stage. And then you bring that truth out into the world with you because you've, you've practiced this listening in a way that expands your ability to be empathetic and then you engage in the world with that empathy, and suddenly we're breaking down walls instead of building walls. And it's simply the concept of listening. So we call that practice radical listening. Sounds familiar. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and we can talk about it. So you created this podcast you or you know we kind of we created a brainchild podcast which we are now on episode four of yeah with the intention wow. to help people <laughs> participate in radical listening yeah and so i think that there's a lot of people who i i get this all the time what is what does radical listening mean and you just explained it very eloquently so how do we help people understand radical listening how do we move more people towards you know being open to to come to theater and and start to listen to perspectives that they are not theirs right um uh i i think the the impulse for the podcast was to um expand our audience base extend the way we at coho are reaching into the community to communicate what we're doing um, in a way to um, start to build bridges beyond the normal Portland theater-going audience. You know, there's like 4,000 people who go to the theater regularly. Mm-hmm. Cross your fingers that 1,000 of them come to one of Coho's plays. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, 
And uh, there are a lot more people in Portland. And there are a lot more people who are not the traditional going theater goers. There's this great music scene. There's this fantastic art scene yeah. that's going on. There are, there are people of diverse um, ethnic and cultural backgrounds. They don't necessarily, they are not necessarily coming to the um, to Coho. Yeah, we can see that. Uh, Why do you think that is? What what do you think happened to theater that the youth seem to overwhelmingly distance themselves from it? There's, a, there's I think there are several things. Um, I think the obvious one is expense, um, but I think uh, more importantly, um, the content that we present tends to appeal to white upper middle class folk who are older because those are the people with disposable income who are who are, who are used to who have created a life that's on a particular schedule mm -hmm. so when i was a kid i would go to a music venue at 10 o'clock and i would drop my five bucks to go listen to some music mm -hmm. if i showed up at 10 30 it was still worth it for me to drop my five bucks yeah. right right at the theater, the contract says you arrive at 7.30. If you're late, you can't get in. Yeah. Right? So that's one thing. The flexibility sure. of it is, is part of the deal there. Um, uh, we've also, uh, even small coho here, 95-seat theater, um, uh, we're institutionalized. We're a 501c3 not-for-profit with a season subscription model. Yeah. That doesn't appeal to the youth. People aren't gonna, you know, people 25 aren't gonna drop, you know, our, our season subscriptions are very inexpensive, by the way, mm -hmm. $80 to 115. So it's it's yeah. it's yeah. not you a lot of money. You can't see a show on Broadway for that much money. Right, yeah. Yeah. one yeah. show, and you can get right. four pretty cool things, I've pretty gotta say, <laughs> but that's a lot of money for somebody to drop yeah. to come, you know, and, and um, Especially when you're 25. Yeah. It's not a lot when you're on a, uh, you know, when you have a full salary and you're in your peak earning years at 50 and all that, that stuff. Yeah, because yeah, I've been going to a lot more of these event parties that people are throwing and, and like, you know, house music, that kind of stuff. And people will pay $25, people our age, but it does go all night. And then they'll spend more on drinks while they're there. But it's because it's people are there for more of an immersive exciting event you know right it's yeah it's interesting and there's been talk about like you know making sure that your uh play and your production that you're presenting feels like an event for folks but that that event that we're when, when we when we cultivate that it's still for the middle-aged mm -hmm. white upper middle class community that's who goes to theater that's how the institution that's structurally how we're set up so we need to change the system in mm -hmm. order to reach more people. So how do you change the system? Yeah. Holy crap, it's hard. Yeah. You know, you start by changing your principles mm -hmm. and you make equity in our case a guiding principle for season selection. Mm -hmm. You make equity a guiding principle for hiring. You just make equity mm -hmm. a component of it so that you are um, providing opportunities to folk who may not be um, keen to what is really happening here, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So is that like it, is that part of your driving force of what gets things into this building? Because Coho has a space, and that's what's really cool. And you have a different model of putting together a season and what happens in your space than a lot of other places. And so. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious about that because it took me a long time to really understand what was happening at Coho. Right. And, like, I knew people who were working here, and I did, but I had a hard time telling what's the difference between what's in your season versus what comes here during the summer versus, you know, Third Rail doing their shows here right. or other people right. doing their right. shows right. here. Right, right, so right. Third Rail is our main tenant mm -hmm. um, uh, these last couple of years. So... Um, our, let's talk about our model for a second, sure. since Clifton's yeah. brought it up, because I think it's important. For our season, um, we uh, request proposals from the community. We ask um, theater artists, local theater artists, what, what do you really want to do? Mm -hmm. What cool project do you have that you can bring to us? And um, they share 
in the producing duties. It's their project. It's their artistic vision. Um, they have to have a financial stake in that. And so they have to fundraise a little bit, bit for their, their vision. Coho will give them a lump sum of money and says, hey, hey, do this play with that. And if they say, my vision needs more, then they have to go, they have to go get it. Um, the proposals are then selected by a committee, our artistic council. So it's not just my point of view. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a group of us. And we come to we try to come to consensus. In my five years of season selection, we've had to take a vote only once. And that was not because it was contentious. It was just we had two seasons we could have put together. Mm -hmm. And it was like everybody was happy with both of the seasons. <laughs> and it was like, well, which one are we going to do? Right. And so we took a vote. Um, no coin flip? No, no. Although that <laughs> would have been just as much. If we were dead, well, but we, we have an odd number yeah. intentionally oh. for that. Oh, yeah, there you go. But um, <laughs> so the um, season is is curated by this council. Then uh, when I came on into my position, um, I was uh, tasked with, quote, don't sweat the asset, meaning the space. If the space sits empty, it costs us money and it sweats money. So the idea was fill the darn thing. Don't let, yeah. it, let it not be, not, something has to be happening. Yeah. yeah are um w and we are in the business of creating programming so my take on that was generate more programming make sure we have enough sublet lease revenue to um, contribute to the bottom line and that you're not solely reliant on ticket sales <laughs> when you generate programming the revenue stream is ticket sales when you um, sublease the uh, room, it's just money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, o the other thing that like was, it was, was really important uh, when I first got started was making sure that everything that came in the room was chosen, even the sublease, to be really careful because as the neighborhood has exploded, and mm. you all have seen the neighborhood, it's yeah. hard to get parking. We've been here for five years, and it's completely different. Completely, completely different. Completely different. Right. Remember when Conway was down the block, and it was all yeah. parking lots, uh -huh. right? And now it's all condominiums. Yeah. How many of those, uh, this is a little side stage, but are you reaching a lot of those people, do you think? There are most of those apartment buildings are empty. Yeah, oh. they're not, yeah. I'm not surprised one bit. Bubbles bursting. Well, I don't know about that. Are they just not full yet? You think? I don't know like about. I don't know what the deal is. Oh. They're expensive. We have a housing yeah. crisis in this city, and there's yeah. all these apartments that are empty. That's obscene. Yeah. Um. Uh. So there's a lot of reasons real estate, which we don't want to get into, because I'd be. I, well, I, mean, I know just enough to 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 say something incorrect. I got you, but it's also a case that a lot of theaters in town have lost their spaces because yeah. of these type of you know rent increases just for everybody, right. driven by this housing boom or yes. housing crisis slash you know yes. overpriced housing boom. But I would also say that regardless of whether or not these high rises are filled or not yeah this is a pretty active area and you know like, much more active yeah. since really the new seasons moved in and when new seasons moved in they put a light on our corner and now at five o'clock from that light all the way back to new seasons it's a line of cars and they drive up and they look over and they see our beautiful sign yeah that's right um, i mean and uh there's also a lot of foot traffic, yeah. uh, neighbors uh, walking up to, to the, the grocery store down the block. You know your neighborhood's made it when they put a Pine State Biscuits right. around the corner. Around the corner. Yeah. Thank you, Pine State Biscuits. Yeah. So, and St. Jack's moved in. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's just a booming neighborhood. And yes, we've seen an increase of, of neighbors coming. Um, the sign was a big deal. We put up the sign in like 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
there was one guy who came jogging in. He says, I've jogged by this building for years and didn't know what it was. And he purchased the ticket. Great. So, um, and when anybody, when anybody does come in, they don't know it's third rail. They don't know yeah. it's um, Coho Lab. They, they just they're think just of it. They're here to see something. They're here to see something. And it is all the venue. Yeah. So people don't people don't really di- differentiate between the two things a lot of the time. Only those four thousand theater local theater goers who are in the know, yeah. and while they make up, like we need to be attentive to those people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all of this, it, it, we don't we never want to forget the foundation of of the organization, right? And it is it is our you know two hundred and fifty subscribers and our really loyal patrons that that are providing us the um foundational funding to do an expansive and an extended programming it's a clever shout out (laughs) (laughs) it's true though Uh, so do you notice that if there's a um a difference in taste between say your your subscribers or your your those four thousand people yeah. and the types of people who you're trying to attract. You know, I I love Coho Lab and we had Coho Lab the public performance last night. So yeah. Coho Lab is a two week uh, residency where where we pick three or four projects and um, those folks generate and devise material over those two weeks. They do a facilitated feedback session for their peers to get intellectual feedback. And then we do a, a public showing of a fragment of the work that they did over the two weeks. They don't have to show everything. In fact, they can't, because we don't have enough time. Um, and then get visceral feedback from the public. And it's fascinating, because each of the project attracts different types of people. Yeah. So we had four projects shown last night. Mm-hmm. and. Um, the the people in the audience had a varied sensibility, right? That was really interesting to see. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you could tell that people were there for different pieces or, you know, came to support a specific person and uh-huh. then also ended up seeing three other things that were varied in nature and, and like content and, and tone. Yeah. yeah. And so. um uh you can really feel when or oh, included in that group of folk were some serious coho uh, loyalists. Pam right. Pam Tower was here. Uh, Carl and Linda Beckelheide. Linda is on our is on our board. There are a few others um, as well who come to see everything that we do. Um, and that last night was so varied. Yeah. Um, and you can feel uh, the coho lab. Actually, the audience is hometown. You know that that like they they're there as Clifton mentioned to support a particular artist, and and then they have to watch other things. But they're also because they're there for their um, th- those folks they are supporting. They're also very gracious yeah, to the absolutely. rest of us. Yeah. And a community here we go again, kind of forms. And some of the stuff like Rose and Murray turning into iguanas in that really killer that piece, great. Mundane Flights, um, you know, the the folks next to me were uh, a family who were there to see the first piece, uh, Melody Orfani's B, which is also, by the way, in Coho season next oh, spring. Um, and uh, we're completely surprised certainly by frankenstein were they the ones with the little child with the little child yeah yeah <laughs> there was plenty of yeah yeah did you see the kid with the soccer ball in his lap who was sitting over there i saw him come in but i didn't it, see i him. was like across from him so i was watching he was so bored most of the time but then Mur- murray started swearing and he was like oh swearing oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like oh cool what did like, he think of frankenstein i i can't remember yeah, i was kind of yeah. watching him he was i think he was kind of in and out of that one he would have been a, he would have been a ma you know he he would have been yeah 
Yeah, it was, he was interesting. a good age. Yeah, he was like a you know a ten, surly ten year old or eleven year old yeah. with a soccer ball on his lap, you know, just like, like what am know? I doing here, yeah, mom? Yeah, yeah. exactly. But <laughs> you could see him perk up a few times. Sunday night really cool. baseball is on. <laughs> I was surprised that there were any children here. Yeah, for well, that, I was almost expecting. I was like, oh, kids. I'm like, did someone do like a children's piece yeah, or something? No, but no, no. Okay, and it was you know it was, it was family. And I thought mm-hmm. the little girl was here for Rose. I was like, maybe like that's one of Rose's like little. Cause I do she teach taught. Like, Oh, preschool geez. or something no, no, no. And like but i didn't know what her piece was like and i'm like maybe it's rose's piece if she did like a kid's <laughs> thing or something i don't know it was it was funny how, how did you um how did you get started at coho well i gotta say when i found out about coho's mission back in like you know 2000 i got i got to portland in 2003 and like it came into my consciousness around 2007 2008 i thought it was the coolest model going you know mm-hmm. uh as a theater maker, as somebody who kind of like um, had to do my own thing in mm-hmm. order to do my thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, I was totally excited by it. And uh, uh, I uh, proposed a couple of shows and didn't get in. And then in the 2012 2013 season, um, we did, my wife and I, Maureen Porter, we did, cr- we petitioned for Crooked. And we got in where the the um, final show of the 2012-2013 season. And so I was involved in a year in which Coho went through a little bit of financial stress. And um, I'm accustomed to dealing with small nonprofit theater arts organizations under financial stress. <laughs> and... Um, uh, at the time, Mary Blair was on the board at Coho, and through her graciousness, um, she and her husband Don devised a plan to complete the season and potentially end Coho gracefully. Mm-hmm. And when I consulted with them, or they consult, I they, I was not happy about my play getting canceled, basically, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, uh, Mary was willing to take a meeting, and um, we talked about how, how what it would cost, knowing the books, to uh, end the year gracefully. And um, I had a number, and Don had a number, and Don's number was twice as much as mine. And so I said, if you add a third part to that, we could keep it going forever. Mm. And... Um, they needed to take some time because it was a lot of money. And um, they came back and really through uh, Mary's passion for the, the place and for theater in general, um, they agreed to add that piece. And we came up with a, a tight little three-year plan to um, stabilize the finances of the organization. Uh, a big shout out goes to the Miller Foundation um, and the Oregon Community Foundation because they funded my position for three years. Mm-hmm. The Miller leaned in first. The Oregon Community Foundation, which is their want, became the second funder. And then it was just a matter of then, when you have three years of funding, mm-hmm. then it's just manage your books, mm-hmm. okay? Like, mm-hmm. take a peek know what's coming nine months ahead, know where the money's coming from, know what's going out, and don't overspend. Now, that's easier said than done. It's like finances. (laughs) 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 You know, yeah. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that all. You know, I don't mean to say that's easy. There's a lot of pressure to spend more money, right? I, I wish we could spend $6,000 on Brothers Paranormal Scenic Design and Kate Duffley, who's the director, would have a glorious amount of fun, right? <laughs> so what we need to do, like in all art, is um, color inside the lines. Like here are the parameters. Here are the constraints. Here are the restraints. And within the restraints, we bump up against them and then we create something cool. Money sometimes makes that really easy so you get the you get the the vision you have in your head on stage but that kind of vision it save that for tv mm-hmm. you know like for me yeah. the 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 constraints of live performance are such 
that something greater can come of the limitation. If we want to do something that is completely, truly representational, you got to put it on film, video, HD, whatever, the, however you're supposed to say it these days. I heard, you know, it's funny, I heard, um, I think this was NTV. I was, I was working in TV when somebody said this to me, but they said big budgets ruin productions. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's really interesting because the color and the lines thing it's something that i was able to learn when i was in school but i see a lot of creators in all different mediums who don't really understand it they it seems like the art is driven by the budget yeah and it's it's very strange i almost rather start with nothing and see what i can create with nothing than right trying to you know right have a massive budget and spend gobs of money on spectacle and Right. It's, it's a very different type of creating. Right. It is a different type of creating. It, it's institutionally, you need to start with the budget, right? Yeah. So, so the system again, right, um, demands a certain amount of, um, a certain amount of that. And um, because we don't have a lot over here in this little 95 seat theater in our $400,000 a year budget um, with a staff of, 3.25 full-time employees <laughs> comprised of six people yeah you know um uh we, we're we're in the we are more in the maker mentality i like to think of it which is what what i would describe phil what you had just said you know mm -hmm. starting with nothing um hand to mouth there's a theater company yeah. in town literally that works hand to mouth and they that's their name mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um theater of the poor um or poor theater i think it is poor, the poor theater it's like poor theater so it's 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 intended to be you know like rose and murray's piece last night rose's piece um joel dunham directed it by the way um mundane flights it was just two people on a blank stage and they created the wor a world of a party and just very true yeah <laughs> really beautifully done um uh wonderfully staged by joel and uh when we were teching actually i was like oh my god there's a million light cues for this 15 minute piece i'm like joel you're gonna have to when we get we were dry teching. When we get the actors out of here, you're gonna have to be ready to cut some of these cues. And he's like, he, he gave me this like, his back got up and he got straight. And he's like, well, we'll have to cut pieces then. I'm like, <laughs> Joel, just consider it, just consider it. And then when we got into tech, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this was exactly the right number. There's no setter like anything else. It's it's the light cues that Shaped delineates everything, the, the and it looked clean. And it was clean. It as made everything super clear. It did. It did. Yeah. So so yeah. well done, Joel. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. this type of theater making. Um, okay. So you said you were used to working for theater organizations with financial trouble. Yeah. And so my question is. Where, where and how did you how did you come every about? theater company that i've ever worked where with is in financial trouble i've heard that that's the secret <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well oh, so how, did you, how did you get started in, yeah in 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 admin i got started at portland actress conservatory um my uh when i was young i wanted to play romeo yeah, but it if, always starts with something like that. Yeah, and <laughs> if you know, I have the heart of a poet. Yeah. I really do, um, a romantic. Um, but I have the limber body and the face and the tradition in me of clown of mm -hmm. of the commedia, and um, I actually got cast at Hartford Center Stage in a in a project, a Romeo and Juliet project, as a supplemental extras a towns person mm. i got hired to do um fight the big fight you know at the beginning mm -hmm. and i was called with only seven people the fight had like 25 people in it with only seven people and it was all the big fellas you yeah. know and they were all getting broadswords, and it's like cool and he gave out the chuck conwell he was the biker <laughs> he gave out these six broadswords, and he's like none for me and I kind of like waited. I didn't get anything. <laughs> he choreographed this gorgeous fight. These two, these three duo, duo, duets. Like three on three. Or, or two, two on yeah, yeah. three of them. 
around a fountain. Yeah. 40 moves for this group, and you break off that way, you break off that way. 35 moves for this group, you break off that way, you break off that way. 26 moves for this group, you break off that way, you break off that way. And I, you know, I was, what, why the fuck am I called to this yeah. fight call, right? I'm not doing anything. So he finishes with all of that, a couple hours in, and he comes over to me with a, a, a basket, a backpack basket of three foot lengths of sausage. And then I beat the crap out of all six of those broadswordsmen with my sausage. That's great. <laughs> totally great. This idea from the, from Chuck was brilliant because it was silly enough and there was enough going on. Anyway, the six fellows, there's one in, in, in particular who said something like, wow, you just got really big. And... <laughs> The director, Mark Lamos, very famous director, um, saw it and he started referencing me as the clown. And whenever he needed a little bit of color across the stage or something, a little like town vibe, he would stage it with these extras, which I was one, one of. And <coughs> excuse me. And when Mark wanted something um, a little bit more textured, he would call over the god mic, get that clown out here. Get that clown out here. And I went back to New York and I took um, a clown workshop with the Cirque du Soleil clown, David Shiner. And I never stopped working. Um, as soon as I identified myself as a clown, I was no longer submitting myself for roles that other people weren't seeing me as. Um, uh, the work with Shiner was over a long period of time and it was very... Um, uh, rich and uh, f you know I, I generated a ton of characters and um, I ended up in Florida um, working on the streets of theme parks mm. and then in Florida I stumbled into a company called School is Fun Productions and I devised um, one man character based curriculum one man character-driven, curriculum-based interactive theater for schools, <laughs> and they were clown characters. Yeah. And I, for three years, I, went, I was on tour by myself doing my 10,000 hours in these four shows over and over and over and over again, and kind of a second grade is going to let you know if you're funny or not <laughs> no. yeah. in a hurry. <laughs> and I learned an enormous, uh, enormous amount from that. Um, uh, I headed back to New York when I met Maureen and um, there I met um, I had met before I left New York when I just started the clowning Jerry Mawad who runs Imago Mask and Movement Theater here and then when I met Maureen she said she was from Portland and I started to get serious and she said there are only two places in the world I'll live New York City or home and home was Portland I'm like Let's go to Portland. <laughs> I'm going to work with that Imago Mask and Movement Theater. And um, in fact, they were the first people to hire me. Oh, wow. It was um, physically demanding, mask and movement stuff. And when I started there, and this is, um, this is how the story goes, the next oldest person in the company, I was 39, the next oldest person in the company was 26. And three years later, when I ended my contract, the next oldest person in the company was 26 that I was working with. So it was a young person's. It felt like a young person's game. That's not fair. There were a couple other guys who hung around a little bit, but mm -hmm. they, were, they, they, they weren't in my inner core group that I was, that I was working with. Mm -hmm. My knees ached for 18 months at the back end of those 36 months. And I shifted into... Um, uh, expending energy, wanting to be a director. Um, Jose Gonzalez and Olga Sanchez at Miracle Theater, Milagro Theater, hired me to do um, one of the Dios de los Muertos. I ended up doing three years of that. When I f we first got to Portland, I was hired by Beth Harper at the Portland Actors Conservatory to do movement for actors. That grew into my clown class. Um, and just when I was leaving um, Imago, Beth needed help in project managing an accreditation project. And now Portland Actors Conservatory is accredited by the National Association of Schools of Theater. 
Um, I started as a volunteer, but eventually she uh, went out and found the money to get me in as a project manager, then eventually as associate director, and then there was money, and I became the executive director at PAC. And um, PAC is serially underfunded, and so um, part of accreditation was overseeing three years of financial audits. So one financial audit is a big deal, but three years of it is a lot, and I had a very generous CPA working with me who basically taught me cost accounting for nonprofit theater, mm-hmm. um, which gave me a, an enormous uh, infrastructure from which I then became sort of, or I've become, if I'm helpful mm-hmm. to other companies when they yeah. have a little bit of trouble. Um, so, yeah, it's really an underrated skill is um, accounting and, and understanding finances, especially when it comes to art. Right. And, and it, I think uh, understanding finance is better phrased than accounting. Like yeah. um, accounting is keeping books and record keeping. And finance is something a little bit different. Finance is, uh, is understanding the value of something and being able to identify the money that's related to that value. So when we speak about radical listening, that value goes way beyond the $25 ticket, Mm -hmm. right? But we need to monetize the participation of our community Mm -hmm. so that we can further this mission. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, uh, I I was born Catholic, and I remain a non-practicing Catholic with some serious cynicism yeah i was gonna ask how does how does that work well i do believe in this um well if we we can go here we've already gone uh, there (laughs) it's gonna get worse um i believe in the trinity the uh spirit the power and the human and the human okay so the catholics father son and the holy ghost the son being people human Father being the power, and the Spirit being that sort of um, infinite. Almost a connection between the two. Um, no, they're all one. Well, they're yes. all one, and they're not each other. And, and yes. I am not trying to deny that because <laughs> let me tell you, don't ever tell a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and so, um, so I tend to see that in everything. Right, that yeah. that notion that there's a higher authority that's connected energetically, and that we are part of something. We each, as an individual, are part of a community. We 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 are practicing right now as a community, which is the basic tenet of radical listening: come together in a room to practice to listen, then go forth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my name. Not in my name, not in Philip's name. <laughs> right. no. In the name of empathy and share that with each other and we have a better world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's basic it's basic Christ teaching, it's basic Confucius teaching, it's basic mm-hmm. it's basic Mohammed, although I don't know those that well, so I'm I'm speaking kind of um, inappropriately in a in a way. But th- there's my Catholicism. Yeah. That's that's present, and um, uh, so you're a Marianne supporter. I'm just joking. Well, <laughs> I don't know quite enough about Marianne, but I, I you know, uh, the what I have heard seems like she's um, uh, not practical enough. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so <laughs> you kind of gotta you gotta bring it down to what is practical. Yeah. Um, uh, and what really, um, what is actionable. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think, you know, I'm, uh, well, I'm leaning to anybody. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, wait, so then if there's a spirit, what is the spirit of theater? The spirit of theater is empathy. Well, the, the empathy is the result in the human. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, it's the space that lives and breathes between the product, the energy that lives and breathes between the production and the audience, mm-hmm. right? We come together and suddenly the audience leans in all together. It's whatever's making our hearts beat at the it's same what time. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. 
it's Pentecostal. True, it's true. I've always felt that theater is almost kind of it's it's almost a religion in itself, right? You know? And like you're saying, it does model a lot of the Christian tradition going to church almost. Almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost. It's an agreed upon time. Mm-hmm. Here the services are. Four times a week here at Coho, Thursday through Sunday. Get mm-hmm. some wine. You only have to come Get once. Get some though. wine, right? Yeah. You only have to come once a week. <laughs> or in our case, once a month. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's interesting about church as far as um, attracting members, right? is that they have this kind of freemium model, right? Where uh, anyone could walk into a church at any time and feel accepted, but also can sit and decide whether or not that this is for them. Right. And then, you know, you become a subscriber after so much time. Do you think anything like that could ever work in theater? Well, that's the, that's the basic tenet of, uh, mm. of, of our idea of extending ourselves, right? Mm. So instead of... Um, just simply taking care of our loyalists. Mm -hmm. We are pushing the envelope in our programming over the summer. Um, We're including different kinds of voices in our upcoming season Mm -hmm. um, in the hopes of demonstrating and continuing and staying with this ultimate idea of inclusion, which includes levels of equity, but also includes um, a humbling of our, um, of our, uh, of, of our, like, standard, like, like, what is good theater, mm-hmm. you know, is it, is it an act, is it actors who can, um, enunciate well and move through the text and commit to action, is it, is that only, is that what makes theater good, or is theater, um, the relationship between the production and the audience, so we go back to last night at Coho Lab. That audience, in many times, in different tones, different styles, came together and viewed what was occurring all from the same point of view and perspective. They, the, this disparate group of people came together and shared an experience. And they were gracious and open to it. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, committing to that openness to what what is possible for me defines what good theater will be mm-hmm. and it's a shift for me a bit um, away from well acted well written the well made play mm-hmm. um, let's get away from that let's make a sloppy play that moves people mm. you know Let's let's not watch the same fifteen to twenty actors um, do their best to make a mediocre script good and say, yeah, that's good theater, mm. right? Let's let's see different people. Let's see them struggle to make the moments happen, and let's keep our eyes attentive for those moments that are magic, that aren't driven by simply. Um, facility and skill but are driven by truth by authentic connection to the moments that are occurring that are magic and let's call that good theater amen yeah Yeah. hey guys i just wanted to take a second to uh talk about our show sponsors coho is a theater that's located in northwest portland and their mission is to broaden perspectives and cultivate empathy through vibrant and intimate productions if you're looking to get involved with Coho or interested in seeing a show, uh, you can check them out um, at 2257 Northwest Raleigh Street in Portland, Oregon. Or you can look at their website, which is cohoproductions.org. Our other show sponsor is virtualsonicreality.com, which is a production company that specializes in recording and audio format entertainment, such as podcasts and audio dramas. Uh, feel free to visit the website at virtualsonicreality.com. And now back to the show. Great. So let's let's move on to some of our headlines. Some of our headlines. I think you we know. We found some good ones. We, we, last we've night. got we've got some we've got some headlines for you. Um, and, and again, headlines are just general things that are going on in the world. Uh, we we scan through the web to find topical. Dig through Reddit. Yeah. Peek through the Mercury. And See what's up. We just want to get your, your, your point of view, get your hot take on some okay. of these ideas. So don't think about it too much. I want. 
um, here's something that's interesting that is um, kind of a new idea, right? You've heard about tiny houses, correct? Yeah. Uh, so now you can buy a prefab solar-powered tiny house for $24,000 on Amazon. And that's from CNET. And you can like what, put it together in like two days or something. Comes yes, you, like you can put you can assemble it in two days. So, the idea that you can buy a house on Amazon Prime, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Where do you have it delivered to? Yeah. Well, my backyard would question. be nice. Yeah. Uh, I have a pretty empty backyard right now, and we've been talking about putting in a studio back there. Oh, that's great. You know, and so tiny house is kind of like. Yeah. Although you know the tiny houses I've been in, um, they're too tiny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You're you're a clown. So aren't you supposed to be able to small car fit I a lot of need room. Um well, I want I have uh, I have a particular thing in mind. I want a space that could double as a studio for rehearsals and then also we could put in uh visiting artists mm -hmm. who could stay there and then when downtime is Airbnb it, you know, right? Yeah. yeah. Um so so there's a there's a lot of functionality. Yeah. And there there is the admin artist speaking, right? Everything has to be practical. Yes, yeah. Everything's got to be like multi-use. What's your sign? I'm Scorpio. Okay. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Did everybody hear that? Uh, <laughs> you know, do you know Michael O'Neill at all? Yeah. Do you know what he's got? He's been over to the art barn. I have. It's pretty cool. He's got it his little cool. tiny house back there. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I just went to a couple of shows there recently. Yeah, digging yeah. that space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's just funny that you can buy a house on Amazon. Yes. <laughs> well, buying a house on Amazon is strange. <laughs> buying anything on Amazon, actually, if you really think about it, is a little strange. I mean, yeah. it's it, you it, know the marketplace yeah. has been the center of communities. Uh, yeah. forever Ooh, and yeah. suddenly the marketplace is online and we are more and more apart from each other yeah yeah and um which is more reason why we need theater yeah it definitely seems that way all right here's a, here's one this is this is something to do with theater <laughs> the uh, sly smile so <laughs> portland five uh-huh um didn't cancel on saturday uh, uh -huh. charlie and the chocolate factory. Right. It's a touring production, yes? Or is it just there? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. so the head but the headline reads Oh. Portland Five Center for the Arts isn't canceling its Charlie and the Chocolate Factory show during Saturday's planned protests. Um one parent wants her money back. Wow. And that's Willamette. Wow. Good for uh P five. Yeah, you know, scruples, right? Why, why give in to the monster? Let's live our lives bravely, forwardly, with courage. Yeah. Shame on that mother. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. That's what I wanted to hear. Nice. Yes. <laughs> because theater is more important. And these people, uh, you know, and it's like you let hate win. There's so many different you ways you can, let, win, right? you can let hate win. Yeah, and you got to say the Proud Boys are theater, man. They, oh. <laughs> they're all about, I mean, the whole, ugh. It's, it's you know, I have this whole thing about <sighs> people who are really self-important. Yeah. You know, and they are, they are a representation of that. And then, you know what, and to some extent, so is Antifa. Yeah, it's just these these well, are people who are po who are posing for the internet. It's this world stage, and they all just want people to see them. Yes, don't we all? Well, in theater at least, it's like we have a we have a I don't know we have a medium. Yeah. Um. But 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 we all want to we all want to be seen. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not I'm not excusing them by any stretch of the imagination. Um. If you want to be seen for hate then that's shameful. Yeah. That's just, you know, how you you it must it must be a very unhappy life. No. To live with so much hate and to spouse it all the time. It just sort of creates around you ugliness. Yeah, and you and I'm starting to realize more and more that this this you know, the proud boys and all these guys, their hate has become their religion. Yeah. And it, it's almost like it, just like how certain types of religious people are, where you start to start denying certain facts and you start to get really narrow about um, what types of 
input you take and right. all of that. that. They're doing the exact same thing. And they do a lot to find community. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but Both find, wrong in but a bad find way. community yeah. in one of yeah. the circles of hell. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, is that what is really that's your your choice? I mean, are you is are things so bad that that's the place you have to find community? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and uh, last headline for this week or this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. So, <laughs> this is from Reddit. Yeah. Um. So, the idea is. What have you heard in your apartment through the walls? That's and that's basically what the na- the name of the the caption was. What have you heard in your apartment through the walls? Well, I don't live in an apartment, anymore. but, but this is time. over the course We're of your life. Lifetime. Like, I know you've lived. What's the worst thing places? you've heard? <laughs> and you know what? Let's just say worst sex thing. is easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't even going to go there. Um, the thing that comes up is the trumpet player, oh. who <laughs> who is really accomplished. But it was accomplished because she practiced scales mm-hmm. mm. over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Oh, that must have been great. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And uh, at the time, Maureen was working a uh, job in the Wall Street area. And um, we finally convinced her to practice the scales at a particular time after Maureen had left. And then I would just make sure I was out of the apartment. <laughs> During that time. You. Was you well, right next door? Underneath us. Underneath us. Well, mm. It's interesting. Yeah. I just uh, I came upon a saxophone. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I came upon that. a clarinet. Uh, we're, so just, we're starting a jazz band. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Teb's going to play trumpet. Yeah, right? exactly. He, he exactly. doesn't know yet. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so, neighbors, watch out. Yeah. Just beware. Uh, great. Let's do plugs. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, this is the part of the show where you can plug anything and you can just tell us why well i gotta start with mala by melinda lopez okay ulana torres is in a one person show right here in the co-host space opening september 6th um ulana's ferocious the piece is funny and poignant and a wild a wild ride and and she is she's a fierce uh performer and that's gonna happen September 6th, it kicks off our season. We have a really cool season, actually, so we're plugging. Um, Mala is followed by the Brothers Paranormal, which is a co-production with Media Rights, Theater Diaspora. Um, It's a Thai Gothic horror story. It sounds so cool. Yeah. um, uh, Set uh, the year after the Hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans. Um, A... uh, true phenomenon that there have been um uh thai ghosts appearing in displaced places um and uh um, there's reports on it and it's a really the piece ultimately is about finding your place and your community it's it's a really uh smart piece um uh that is um going to be scary Kate Tuffley is directing. Samson Surath is uh, the the lead in it. Um, Andrea White is in the cast. She plays a really nice. important role. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to have Andrea back on the stage. Last time we had Andrea uh, here in a staged reading, I played opposite her. Um, it was super fun. Um, our third piece is by a local fella who went to read Dominic Finocchiaro. It's the Found Dog Ribbon Dance. Oh my God! And Clifton is in it. Whoa, that's <laughs> I right. Forgot. I forgot too. Whoa. Yeah. Clifton plays dog. <laughs> I've got lots of lines. <laughs> it's great. And we end the season with B, which was workshopped for the interstitial components during Coho Lab. Right. It's this beautiful tone poem. Uh, about um, Iran in the late 1940s and a lineage piece in regards to Melody herself, um, who is the granddaughter of this woman who we who we follow her um, uh, uh, life as a woman mm-hmm. married in in Iran in the 1940s, and there's some beautiful beautiful stuff 
in that play and i'm i'm really excited about it uh um yeah i don't want to give anything away yeah because uh um i'm really excited about it and i was really happy to see the the work that melody did with some actors over these two weeks she's fairly new to portland she she's workshopped this play a couple of times in new york including at hb studios um and uh the the again the text is is exquisite mm -hmm. and the the poignancy is like mm -hmm. it is so delicate mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm looking forward to her putting together a full cast and um, she's going to bring in an actor from New York who who's worked with her before who who uh, will play the lead and, um, and yeah and so there's our season. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ah, it sounds fun. Yeah, recover and rebuild. We're re we're calling it. Recover um, and eighty rebuild. bucks. You can see the whole thing. Eighty. Well, if you're over sixty-five. Oh. <laughs> uh, hundred and fifteen. If you're a little younger. Still a deal. Is there a student yeah. discount? There is a student discount, and we do this super cool thing for high school students: rush tickets for free. Mm. Oh, nice. And they, you, it's easy to kind of call ahead, and we can let you know that yeah, you're gonna get in. Okay. So if you're a high school student come to coho for free great bring your friends you heard it here first yeah you have any uh plugs? yeah so yeah found dog ribbon dance is coming up and conray's directing that i'm also doing another show conray's directing at theater vertigo and we open in september <laughs> sorry is that really? also late september is that a dominic dominic piece too? no it's complex that's dominic oh is it is it is it Same also author, dominic? yeah oh didn't realize well there you go that shows how much i know about what i'm working on <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I'm really excited about it, uh, getting to, to showcase some of my talents beyond acting in that, get to make some strange sounds. Uh, very excited. Also, uh, going to Burning Man and Shebang soon, so those oh. will be some fun festivals, and might be doing a little performance there, putting some eggs in some bottles, some science stuff, we'll see. So, if you're at Burning Man, or the week after that, Shebang up in, uh, at the Lookout Arts Quarry in Washington, uh, I'll be hanging out there. So, yeah. Great. Um, I'm going to shout out from the Ruby Jewel, which is um, going to be happening at the Shoebox starting August 23rd, um, and I think it runs through September 8th, and that is a play that I've I worked on in development the last time it was produced. Um, I'm not working on it this time, but I still want to shout them out, and it's about, um, it, it takes place surrounding these women who work in a strip club, and it talks about you know the life of people who are in sex work. It's very interesting, um, and that's all. So thank you very much for. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Clifton. Yeah, thank you. Phil. Fun. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Listening. If you have questions or would like to reach out, feel free to reach out to our email, which is radicallisteningpodcast at gmail .com or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.